Welcome to The Clinical Entrepreneur, a business podcast that's dedicated to healthcare practitioners just like you who are hustling every day to build a business and a life you're proud of. Join me, Rhonda Nelson, as I share my own experiences and extract actionable advice from industry experts about what it takes to build and scale a profitable wellness practice. Uh, It's been quite exciting around here the last couple of weeks since I aired the podcast about the bioidentical hormones. Man, oh man, y'all came out of the woodwork, which was super fun. So I got to interact with a lot of you and I love hearing your stories and answering your questions and giving you resources that are going to help you be a better clinician, provide better care for your patients and really understand some of the nuancey things that you might not be getting on Dr. Google or elsewhere, because you know that this uh, functional medicine, y'all know how I feel about this. If you don't go back and listen to that podcast episode, that was a hot one too, but I'm just not a fan of this whole, you know, I call, I, I really should be calling it the conventional functional medicine model because it, in a lot of cases, that's what it is. And although we like to think of ourselves in that world of functional medicine. We don't really love the word alternative medicine because, you know, I think that what we do, what you and I do for patients is, should be the standard way of care and the conventional model should be alternative, so to speak. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately we're, we're kind of stuck in this, this place, this kind of no man's land where we really don't have a great term for ourselves other than I like functional wellness. You know, I love that. That's probably my favorite term, but it's not a term that your patients are going to know. So for now we're stuck with holistic alternative and functional medicine, and none of those are my faves, but we do have to know how to keep clinical things uh, in line, in sight and on target to really be able to provide the best care for our patients. So today I want to talk to you about, um, something having to do with the thyroid. Now you might be thinking, Oh, Rhonda, where's all the business talk? Where's all the, you know, business support stuff. It's still here. It'll come. But because you all responded so well to, and loved the bioidentical hormone podcast that I did, I thought, eh, here's another great topic that I actually just discussed inside my uh, clinical academy group on a live Q&A. And rather than pull that recording in, I'm just going to give it to you again here. I could have just dumped you right in and let you listen in on the recording, but I thought I would just re-record it here and give it to you straight hand, straight up. And one of the things that I find often with the thyroid is practitioners miss. There's one key thing that we really do need to consider when working with the thyroid. Cause a lot of times thyroid cases don't respond. You all have them, right? Patient comes in, Maybe TSH is normal. Maybe it's a little bit high, but they really just present as a hypothyroid patient, whether they have Hashis or they don't have Hashis or whether it's just a frank uh, hypothyroid, either way, that thyroid is underperforming. And as you know, most of the time we get a TSH, maybe a T4 from a, the conventional healthcare practitioner, their PCP, but they're not going to dive in and look at all the markers. So I will, um, I've got a list and I will link those in the show notes of all nine markers that I like to order for the thyroid, just the thyroid. And if you go to the show notes, you'll see that I'll have those there downloaded for you. But here's what I want to talk about. 
when we think about how the thyroid makes these hormones, I'm going to give you a little bit of a physiology lesson here. And then I'm going to tell you about the one key thing that you're probably overlooking or should be considering a little bit more as it has to do with the thyroid. So those of you that are in clinical academy, don't let it out of the bag because you already know what I'm going to be talking about if you were on that live Q&A. So here we go. I'm going to give you a little physiology, a kind of an anatomy physiology lesson here, and then I'm going to tell you the big secret. Are you ready? Here we go. So let's talk about how the thyroid makes the thyroid hormone. So first, we have the thyroid that's the butterfly-shaped gland in the neck. You know this. It's in the anterior portion of the neck. And the thyroid gland itself is made up of thy—excuse me follicles. These little follicles are little round follicles. They're like a little like a BB. Or when I was a kid, there were beanbag chairs. And inside those beanbag chairs were all these little tiny white BBs. And that's what I want you to think about. Those little tiny round BBs, those are like, that's like a little follicle. But now we're going to dive a little deeper as if we were in a microscope and we're going to look a little deeper, a little deeper. So first we see the thyroid. Then we see all the follicles that make up the shape of the thyroid. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of them. They're highly vascularized. There's lots of blood flow. But then inside each of those little round follicle, little round follicle is a swimming pool. Now, the swimming pool is where the thyroid hormone is stored. But on the outside of that follicle, in the nice round circle, are all the little thyroid cells. They're called thyrocytes, much like you would have a hepatocyte in the liver. These are thyrocytes. They're little cells that line that swimming pool. So if you imagine a round ball, like a hamster ball, have you ever seen those, a round plastic ball, and you put the hamster in it, and the hamster run, 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 run all over the house? Okay, that's how I want you to think about the thyroid follicle. It's like a round hamster ball. However, that plastic on the outside is side by side, a whole bunch of these thyrocytes that create that round shape. And inside, like inside where the hamster would live, is a colloid mixture containing the thyroid hormone, which is largely T4. So T4 is made by four atoms of iodine. Now, when we get iodine in, it has to come in from the bloodstream. And when it comes through the bloodstream, it's going through a sodium iodide iodine symporter that's on that outer membrane of the thyrocyte. So the iodine's floating around in the bloodstream. The blood, as I mentioned, the thyroid is very, very, very vascularized. There's lots of blood flow there. And so the, the iodine comes through the bloodstream. It runs through this symporter, goes all the way through the thyrocyte and dumps out into the swimming pool or what's called the colloid is what it's actually called or the lumen, but the colloid. And so the, the iodine is pulled in and other nutrients are pulled in, but that symporter is where the iodine comes in. So that's kind of one step. That's step one. So the body's pulling in that iodine from the bloodstream, dumping it into the colloid, into that center solution, the swimming pool. At the same time, the nucleus of the thyrocyte is producing something called thyroglobulin. And thyroglobulin, if you think of it, it's like a scaffolding. It's like a big ladder and all the rungs on the ladder, it's got all these little tyrosine tags that are hanging off of this thyroglobulin scaffolding. And the tyrosine tags are what is where the thyroid hormones are made. And they are made in either a set, it's either a, what I call a twosie or a onesie. Now I know that's not medically correct, but a twosie is called DIT. 
And at one is MIT. So die in mono. I won't get into the big, if I say it, it's not going to transcribe well. You're not going to know anyway, but just think of it this way. It would be like holding up two fingers or one finger. So we have a bunch of two tyrosine tags that have two iodine atoms. And then there are a few that have just one iodine atom hanging on this tyrosine. So these thyroglobulin um, the structure gets released from the nucleus of the thyrocyte out into the colloid. And we've got this free-floating iodine out in the colloid. And so the next step is we've got to pair that all up together. So the iodine jumps onto those tyrosine tags, either in pairs of two or as singles. The DIT is two, MIT is one. And they those, those will pair up. So we've got a bunch of twos and a bunch of ones. So you can imagine where this is going. Now, once those tyrosine tags are full of iodine, then they kind of just hang out over there. The colloid, they're combined together into a two and a two makes a T4. So if we have a tyrosine tag that has two iodine atoms, then we if that adds up, that connects up, I should say, with another DIT. It stands for diiodotyrosine and monoiodotyrosine. But the twos pair up together, that's a that's a total of a T4, right? So there's our T4 hormone. And then a two and a one are going to pair up. And that makes our T3. So this hormone is just kind of sitting out there. It's just waiting. It's kind of hanging on the thyroglobulin, kind of lopping around with that tyrosine, all ready to go, just waiting for TSH to signal the thyroid and say, you need a little more hormone downstream. Let's get to the party. Come on, baby. Let's go. Once TSH signals the thyroid and says, hey, look, I need a little bit more hormone, the thyroid gets busy. It says, hey, no problem. And it pulls that thyroid hormone back from the colloid or the swimming pool in the middle, pulls it all the way back through the thyroid It breaks down the thyroglobulin. It pairs them all together. Everything's good. And it pushes that thyroid hormone out into the bloodstream where it's bound to a binding protein and off it goes downstream to do the rest of its job. So to recap, there's three kind of three steps. One, the nucleus makes the thyroglobulin, which is like the scaffolding that is where the thyroid hormone is built. Step two is we need iodine because that's the basis of the thyroid hormone. And that comes in through the bloodstream, through that iodine, sodium iodine symporter, moves all the way through to the colloid. And then step three is the assembling of those uh, thyroid hormones. So it's a two and a two that makes a T4 or a two and a one. That makes T3. And then they just wait there. And then step four is out they go upon the, you know, call from TSH, from the pituitary. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, great. So there's four steps in the whole process, right? We have thyrocyte scaffolding. We've got iodine. And then we've got the creation of the thyroid hormone. That's all what's happening inside the thyrocyte. But here it, and the colloid, here is what you're probably missing. There are some people who say that high dose of iodine is needed and everybody's going to need iodine and we just have this nutrient deficiency and we need iodine. I don't agree. Okay, so there we go. I'm drawing another line in the sand, friends. This is like my position. You don't have to agree. It's okay. We can live. We live in a country where we can disagree or at least we should be able to disagree. Uh, but yeah, I this is just my opinion. Here's what Here's what I say. So when the body's very efficient, number one, at recycling iodine. Now, iodine occurs in nature in micrograms. 
Now, I am a big fan of following nature. Let's use food to heal the body. That's why I love food-based supplements, right? And quality herbs, not herbs that are junky, but I want them tested. I want good quality. So if if the, the nutrient, in this case, iodine, shows up in the world that we would eat, i.e. kelp, sea vegetables, grass, grass-fed meat, things that are, you know, comes from the rain, we get it through all that. Why would we dose it in milligrams? That doesn't make any sense to me. Makes no sense to me. If it shows up in nature in micrograms, then it should be eaten in micrograms. Okay, that's my position. Now, that being said, I know that the body has a very, very efficient recycling process where it can it holds on to as much iodine as it can because it isn't overly abundant in the food supply. Like we have to get it from fish or sea vegetables like kelp or dulse. We can also get it from grass or through the meat that we're eating or chickens that are, you know, grazing on grass that may have some iodine in the in the grass from the rainwater. But we don't need to be going out and doing a bunch of high-dose iodine. In fact, we know that high-dose iodine, higher doses of iodine, will actually cause hypothyroidism. That used to be the standard treatment for Graves' disease until, of course, a drug was developed and surgery was developed where they could take that thyroid out. Then all of a sudden... Oh no, we don't use iodine to cure, not Graves, I'm sorry, I said Graves, I didn't mean that, I meant hyperthyroid. Um, But now we can use a surgery and a drug for hyperthyroid, so who needs iodine? But that's how that used to be done. So they'd give high doses of iodine and that would shut down the thyroid. So I'm very cautious with iodine, but here's the one thing that you might be missing. If you look at just TSH or just T4, Remember I said, I started out the podcast by saying those are often the markers that get ordered. If you just look at those, you're going to miss this. And here's what I want you to look for. When you order uh, your thyroid test, there are nine markers. And again, I will link those in the show notes. But when you order your thyroid test, you want these nine markers. And the number one that you want to look at is total T4, not free T4. You want to look at total T4. That is going to tell you how much thyroid hormone, how much T4 is coming out of the thyroid. Remember that's step four where TSH sends a signal and says, Hey, we need more thyroid hormone. The thyroid pushes out T4. In fact, the thyroid makes 95% of its production of thyroid hormone is T4, which is four iodine atoms on that on the tyrosine hanging out now in the bloodstream. So if the thyroid makes 95% of the hormone is T4, why don't we look at T4 as a marker for how well the thyroid is using or how available iodine is? So let me just pose this question. I mean, this is my simple brain. This is just the way that that I think about this. If T4 is low, low on a functional range or lab low, then my first thought is we're missing iodine. That's my very first thought, but here's the part that you might be overlooking. What if you're giving the patient iodine? I can't tell you how many times I've worked with practitioners and they'll say, oh yeah, I'm giving iodine and nothing is in, nothing's changing. T4 is staying low or T3 is low. They're not looking, taking a step far enough back to look at it from the 5,000 foot perspective. And here's what happens. This is the key. So if you are driving 
please do not try and write this down while you're driving. Come back and listen to the podcast. But if you're sitting and you're listening to this podcast, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. You're going to want to write this down. It's very important. What is often missing or what I'll say dysfunctional in the thyroid process is the symporter isn't working. Remember I said that sodium iodine symporter sits on that membrane, the outer side of that thyrocyte next to the bloodstream. That's where the bloodstream's dropping off all the iodine right there. It's actually iodide. Dropping it off right there and it gets picked up and moved through that symporter. That's the only way let me repeat, it's the only way that iodine can get into the thyroid is through that symporter. That's it. It's the only gate there is. In fact, that symporter is the same gate that takes it up in the stomach and the duodenum as well, or duodenum, however you pronounce it. So that symporter, we have to make sure that symporter is working because you could be giving iodine like crazy, which I don't love. But maybe you're giving two milligrams, three milligrams, five milligrams of iodine. I don't love that. But maybe you're doing that and you're not seeing a thyroid improve. T4 is still staying low. And you're thinking, oh, we must need to give more. No, no, no. This does not make any sense to me. What we would rather do is how about we just fix the symporter or at least make sure that the symporter has the nutrients it needs to work well. So I'm going to tell you what those nutrients are. And this is what I want you to think about when you are creating a thyroid protocol for someone who has the hypothyroid, especially the person who has low T4 and you suspect that there may be some iodine that's needed. So here's, it's super easy to remember. It's ACE, A-C-E. So vitamins A, C, and E. So write this down, A, C, and E. And then we have magnesium and selenium. That's it. ACE, magnesium, selenium. That's all. Those are the five nutrients that that symporter needs to be healthy and work well. Now, if you are creating a thyroid protocol and those nutrients are not included, and if that symporter is not working, you are going to be pushing rope uphill, my friend. You're never going to make progress. You're going to just make it worse because you're going to just be giving a whole bunch more iodine and that iodine, iodine, iodide, it can't get into the colloid. It can't get through that symporter because the symporter is broken. How many people do you know? Let's just, you know, as a show of non, non-literal, but show of hands. How many people do you know that you suspect probably have some deficiency in any of those nutrients? A, C, E, magnesium, selenium. Those are common, common nutrient deficiencies, common. And why we think the symporter is going to work, I don't even know. So for me, I'm thinking, how can we, rather than give a vitamin A supplement and then a vitamin C supplement, and then let's give something with E, and then let's give a magnesium supplement and a selenium supplement. That's five different supplements, hard no. I'm thinking, how can we get this from the food we eat? So the first one I'm thinking is if we suspect that there's a symporter problem, which for most people, it, it's it's questionable for thyroid patients. I think it's, it's way more often than you would think. So let's see, if we're gonna give selenium, that's easy. What nut is high in selenium? Well, Brazil nuts. So you have them eat two, maybe three Brazil nuts a day. That's it, you don't need a lot. 
So we just give a tiny little bit of selenium. We don't need to go do this big macro dosing of anything. These are not huge, big nutrients. Let's just give the body just a little bit and let it start doing what it's supposed to be doing. So I would say Brazil nuts. Now for vitamin C, that's easy, easy to get in food. However, I do think that people are deficient enough. So I'm going to use something like, you know, I'm going to use like Cataplex C or some other kind of a, a food-based C product. But I also, that one particular one is from Standard Process. But I also would say you could use like uh, Camu Camu, you could use Arceola cherries, you could use rose hips, things that you already know are high in vitamin C, have them drink the tea or have them eat them. Rose hips are quite tart, but they're actually pretty good. Um, you can add them to all kinds of different things. You can chop them up and put them on a salad. And they're actually really good. So there's ways that you could get that vitamin C in them in a good amount of a good dose. How about A? Well, cod liver oil is a great one for A. Then you're getting all kinds of other benefits. You're getting a nice D. You're also getting nice fatty acids in there. So that's a great support. I like to use, and this is just me, but I like to use Cataplex E from Standard Process because it's got vitamin E and a little bit of selenium in it as well. And then uh, there's another option you could do like um, uh, AC combined. You could do a Cataplex AC. And I'm referring to Standard Process products only because those are the ones that I know the best. But there are lots of ways to be able to kind of combine and, and put these nutrients together in where you're only giving maybe one or two supplements rather than five. You want to think about how you can overlap them. You know, what's one thing that I can give or I can use a food that they can incorporate in their diet and they can get these nutrients. But I will tell you, after working with thyroid patients for over 20 years, this is the one thing that is so incredibly common is this uh, sodium iodine symporter problem. And we don't talk about it because nobody thinks about it because we don't know the physiology. Now, that's why I was talking about this inside Clinical Academy, because in Clinical Academy, that's a membership that I have for clinicians who want to understand how to repair and heal and restore the body using food, food-based nutrients, and also how to do it with just some common sense. This medical approach to, you know, the back to this functional medicine conversation, this is crazy. Like, I don't get this. Why do we use all these synthetic supplements? Yeah, they have research on it because you can't, you can't patent like rose hips. So there's never going to be research on that. There's never going to be a patent. There's never going to be anything that's, you know, able to be synthesized in a lab. Why? Scorbic acid is not vitamin C. Newsflash. It is not. Go check. Go. You go back and do your chemistry. It is not vitamin C. It is the outer wrapper of vitamin C. What's inside the vitamin C molecule is what we want. That's like eating a word, saying that I buy Werther's candies to eat the wrapper. How dumb is that? The wrapper is like ascorbic acid, but I want the good stuff in the middle. I don't want the wrapper. I'm going to take that wrapper, get rid of it. Ascorbic acid is a nothing burger. That's not how we rebuild this importer or the rest of the body. So what I want you to think about is the next time you're dealing with a thyroid patient, I want you to really think about Look at the blood test. So go to the show notes, grab that list of those thyroid markers. There's nine of them that I like to order. They're included in the functional panel that I use. So you want to order, make sure you have those nine markers and then start to look at the thyroid from the top down. Look at it logically. What is T4? Is it on the low side of normal? Could that be an a frank iodine deficiency, or if you're giving iodine, is it a symporter problem that we're not getting iodine into? 
the thyrocyte or through the thyrocyte into the colloid. Maybe it's that you have a conversion problem. Maybe T4 is normal and T3 is low because that has to be converted in the liver, the gut, and the peripheral tissues. These are some of the things that we talk about inside Clinical Academy. And I, if you want into Clinical Academy, it's not open right now. If you send me a DM, tell you what, I'm going to do this on the fly. If you just send me a DM and just put learn, just type, just send me learn um, on Instagram or Facebook, either one, I will send you a link to look at, into Clinical Academy and see if that's going to be a good fit for you. It's a fabulous fabulous place where you can really learn a lot. These kinds of little nuancey things about clinical care that you may not learn anywhere else. It's easy to have book learning, but this is like, I was called, this is like clinical street learning. This is my experience for 20 years as a clinician. And I just break it down into really simple terms, just like this, like this Symporter. You have to know this. You got to know these nine markers that you need to order when you're looking at a thyroid test. You have to understand how iodine works so that you don't overdose it because it shows up in nature in micrograms, right? So anyway, I could go on and on and on about that. DM me, learn, and I will, I gotta set this up before this podcast goes live or I'm gonna get in trouble. I'll figure it out though. Don't worry, this is off the cuff. So if you DM me the word learn, I will send you the link to Clinical Academy and you can check it out and decide if you wanna join us. I'd love to have you. It will change your life, I'm telling you. It will change your clinical life. You will learn things that you have never learned before, I promise. And uh, one of these would be about this sodium iodine importer. So anyway, that's all I have for you this week on The Clinical Entrepreneur. I love helping you help your patients because when you can help them, when you can get that transformation in their lives, and when you have a good business model, you can not only serve them better, but you're also going to serve yourself and your family at a higher level as well. And that's really what it's all about. I want you to be successful in both arms of your practice, clinically and in business. So if you love this, please take a minute and leave a review. It means so much if you would on whatever app you listen to these podcasts, but I would love to hear your feedback. Thanks for doing that. And uh, if this is useful for you and, or you want more information about Clinical Academy, text me, I mean, uh, message me, the word learn, and I will make sure that to get you the link and the list of blood markers are gonna be in the show notes. So thanks again for hanging out with me. Listen to this, save this podcast because you're probably gonna wanna listen to it again. I know it might've been a little complicated, but I love sharing, I love teaching, I love helping you be the best version of a clinician that you possibly can be. All right, friends, take care. That's all I got for you this week. Have a great week and I'll see you next week on the Clinical Entrepreneur Podcast.